So we began the meditation instructions on this retreat with um, samatha practice, kind of cultivating that gatheredness of attention and that sense of uh, some degree, some degree even if very small, of well-being with the practice. And yesterday, uh, with the Vedana, we were starting to include uh, what we're calling insight practices, or what are traditionally called insight practices. So practices that, um, as well as still cultivating that sense of presence and well-being, also bring in um, the qualities of inquiry and a, and a kind of more... Um, more engagement with the practice. And really important to, to say here, and uh, I know Nathan said this yesterday, and we'll keep reminding you that it's not, um, well, two things. One is that, you know, there's a certain trajectory with instructions, but it doesn't mean that you have to, to follow it. You know, it doesn't mean that um, everyone has to be doing the same thing in the same um, same time frame. So uh, we're offering these to to be of use to you and with a real invitation to try out and to explore, but equally a really important um, quality or attitude that we're developing in practice is that ability to sense what is appropriate for ourselves. And this can be very hard. (laughs) So, you know, we're saying it a lot it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy or that you always know, but it's something that we're cultivating, that we're developing, is that sense of, okay, what is, um, what is happening in the experience now? What are the different conditions at play? And then what would be the appropriate um, practice to, to bring in? And as I've said before, you know, sometimes we say things here and they don't seem applicable, um, and they may be applicable later on. So very much an invitation to listen, be receptive, and um, try things out, and then also with a, with a willingness to listen to, to what is appropriate. <coughs> if, if it doesn't feel like it's, it's working for you right now, then you can just be put to one side respectfully, <laughs> um, you know, with the, with the knowledge that we, we may pick it up um, later on in, in, in our practice um, over the years. Um, so that's one really important thing. The other thing is that, um, as we, we said all the way back in the opening talk, the Samatha insight practices, Samatha and Vipassana, they work together. So even though we're introducing more insight practices, um, the, the, the advice is, is still to, to carry on with Samatha Samadhi practices for around half the time. You know, so this isn't a, uh, <coughs> it's not an accurate science. So, you know, around half the time, carry on with Samatha Samadhi and half the time with insight practices. And, um, you know, this can be, you know, dedicating some sittings to one and some sittings to the other. It can be the same sitting about 50-50. You know, you can play with it according to what works for you. And, you know, that's the recommendation, not, um, again, not an accurate science. You don't start, you don't need to start um, walking around with a stopwatch or a timer to get it exactly, you know, fifty percent. But it, it's just a, a more or less kind of um, giving you a sense of how to divide. 
So just a little bit about, about insight, about this word um, and what it means and, and what it actually particularly means in our practice. Um, so we can say there's two types of insight and one is more commonly spoken of than the other. So the one that we probably all are familiar with is what we might call a, a spontaneous, spontaneous insight. So we're maybe here on retreat practicing um, or we're doing our karma yoga job or we're on the toilet or in the shower, you know, it can be in any situation. And suddenly this insight arises, you know, it's as if something is illuminated, we understand or we see something that we haven't understood or seen before. Sometimes it's also can be a repetitive insight, but it comes up again with, you know, more clarity or more power to it. Um, and, you know, these are really, really precious. And, you know, we call them spontaneous because we, we can't quite direct them. You know, they arise very much as a result of the practice. You know, very much as a result of the practice. There's a direct correlation. But it's not as if, you know, we're pressing a few buttons and the insight will pop. And we also can't choose what the insights will be. Some of them we like more than others, perhaps. Um, but all of them share that quality of illumination, of seeing deeply and clearly something that uh, we haven't seen before. And sometimes it can be very something that's actually, when we see it, it's very obvious. Yeah, it's very obvious. But something was obscuring the seeing before that. So that's one, one type of insight, very, very um, valuable, very important. The other um, type of insight, which is, is what we're predominantly going to be um, kind of working with in the next few days, is um, actually insight as a practice. And so um, it's what we've been referring to, or we can, we've, we've been referring to this um, concept of ways of looking more and more over the days. So another way of speaking about this insight is cultivating a way of looking that actually um, deepens and clarifies our seeing and our understanding over time. And it's kind of doing it in a sustained way. So it's not a spontaneous insight. It's, we can say it's an applied insight. It's an applied insight. So we, we take something that um, someone will suggest, in this case, this person sitting here, and we apply it. We apply it. When I say this person sitting here, it's not my, uh, it's not my um, invention. So this person here suggesting something that has been um, suggested in the tradition for, for thousands of years. Um, and we apply it. So with this um, applied insight or applied way of looking practice, um, as, as we've been speaking of and I spoke um, more about yesterday, um, one thing that we start to see when we practice is that there's always a way of looking pr that's present. There's always a way of looking that's present that is affecting our perception. That's kind of part of the conditions that are affecting our perception of what is going on. And unfortunately, most of our habitual <laughs> ways of looking, most of our habitual ways of looking are actually ways of looking that enhance the sense of self. They, they, they increase the contraction. They build up the sense of self. That, that is our habit. That's our habitual way of being in the world as human beings. And therefore, they lead to more dukkha. Lead to more contraction, they lead to more dukkha. 
Um, you know, I'll just give some examples of these, you know, really common. I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to surprise you. Um, the comparing mind is a way of looking. Yeah, the mind that, that compares, um, you know, how still I'm sitting to how still the person next to me or behind me or in front of me is sitting. You know, and is then evaluating everything that's going on through that lens. Yeah, I had a good meditation because I was more still than they were. You know, it comes down to that kind of really very, very base kind of um, ruminations in the mind. You know, or the inner critic is another very, very painful way of looking that, that, you know, we, we really most of us have. And if you don't, then you're very fortunate and very unique in, in, in our culture if that's not part of, of the way of, ways of looking that you have. You know, that part of ourselves that is evaluating, um, criticizing, giving us a hard time, that spectrum. Um, and that is also a way of looking. And, and, you know, there's many, any kind of identity or role. You know, if we're a, you know, if we're, um, a gardener, um, you know, with a lot of experience, we might be walking around Dharmalaya looking at the, at the, at the, at the beds with that, you know, and that is the way of looking because it's a role. It's something that we that is part of our habit, and so we look at something from that um, from that lens. So there's many, many of these, and like I said, unfortunately, uh, but very naturally and humanly, most of them, most of the, the habitual ways of looking, they increase. Um, they come with with a self identity, and that self identity increases the contraction, and therefore leads to a lot of the suffering that we experience. So that's kind of what is happening. And then how do we apply insight? How do we apply insight or how do we apply ways of looking? So when we apply insight, we're actually um, intentionally bringing in ways of looking that, I think I said it a little while ago, we bring in ways of looking that um, actually minimize the contraction and their self-identity. They actually do the opposite and they bring more freedom. And this might sound like some, you know, incredibly hard to believe magic trick. <laughs> of course, it takes sustained application and um, interest to, to, to lead to some results. But sometimes it can be surprising um, how, what immediate effects it can have. So this um, sustained way is really, really important, and that's why like the the um, suggestion is really to apply it, you know, for for a large period of the day, so that we're really building up a momentum, really building up a momentum of this different way of looking. So um, last night I um, I mentioned the three characteristics, or or sometimes called the three marks of existence. Um, that are spoken about in the teachings, a very core principle that actually um, everything, you know, everything that exists in this, in this world, in this life, um, has to it or can be seen through um, three characteristics. Um, and they are um, anicca, the Pali, anicca, which is inconstancy, changeability, impermanence, um, uncertainty, really important one, also a, a good translation of the word. Um, so there, this is one, Anicca. The second one is Dukkha, 
a word that you've, you, you've heard quite a bit already, um, the unsatisfactory. They have an unsatisfactory nature. So nothing in this, nothing in this world actually has a satisfactory nature in itself. And um, the third is um, anatta, which um, is translated as not-self. Not-self. The meaning of not having an inherent or a separate self that's separate from everything else. And so over the next, starting from today, we'll be exploring each of these as a way of looking. As a way of looking at experience, as an insight way of looking at experience and as a practice. And so we'll begin with the first one, with the Nietzsche, um, today. Another word that's useful, and I'm, I'm saying kind of the different, you know, because the Pali, um, Pali is a much uh, richer language than English is, so often um, one word in Pali will have quite a few words in English to give the, the sense of the of that, of what it actually means, of the meaning, because the meaning is, is, can be much more rich. So I've already said inconstancy, impermanence, uncertainty, and changeability. Another word that gives a hint of a Nietzsche is flux. So something that is in kind of flow and change, it's in flux. And important to, to kind of Remind again here that when we're uh, working, you know, we're working with these three characteristics, not as, it's not a belief system. You know, it's not about, oh, this is the true nature of things. But this is a really helpful way of seeing the nature of things. A helpful way because it helps us unstick. Yeah, it helps us unstick. It helps us um, relax and release and dissolve so much of the identification and the expectation and the tightening and the contraction that naturally happens to us in, in relationship. So Anicca, um, you know, is something that is difficult to argue with, you know, and we actually look at the world, we look at um, everything in our experience, we it's difficult to, to, to argue and say, no, this is permanent. You know, this is permanent. When we look at, um, you know, even something as solid-seeming and uh, impressive as the Himalayan mountains, you know. And, and we know, you know, especially today with all our modern information, we know several things. We know they're the youngest mountains on Earth, for example. You know, they're the biggest ones, but they're the youngest. So at some point they weren't here. We also know that they're constantly changing. Yeah, and, and we can even see it. You know, when we're over the days here we can see the snow melting. You know, we know glaciers are melting. We know there's landslides. You know, so even that, something that seems so solid and big and permanent, if we look over um, a long enough scale of time, the change is, is very, very clear and apparent. Um, even, you know, everything that we, we take as, um, you know, having a real solid presence for us in our lives, you know, our own body, our own sense of self, you know, that, that also changes. You know, if we reflect on um, how we felt physically or mentally when we arrived here a few days ago and how we're feeling right now in this moment, it's not very likely that it's the same, either in the body or the mind or the emotions. You know, it changes. So... 
uh, and Nietzsche is really interesting because on the one hand it's very difficult to argue with, it's very obvious, it's very clear. If we pay attention to anything, we see that movement. On the other hand, um, our habits, again, <laughs> is to relate to things as if they are permanent. Yeah? To myself, to my emotions, to my mind states, to my body experience, to others. So it's, it's really interesting, and we can see why there's such a scope for practice in, in this realm. So, you know, the fact that we can uh, quite easily mentally acknowledge that, um, that Anicca is a part of the movement of life, um, that fact we can then, if we, through the acknowledgement, we can then build up on that and, and really turn that into a tool of meditation. So how do we do that? How do we do that? So one way is really, um, you know, builds up on what I was talking about last night is at any moment of our experience we can turn and look and say, okay, what is, um, what is my way of looking right now? What is my way of looking? What am I solidifying? What am I seeing through right now? And um, can I, instead of that way of looking, can I bring in a different way of looking that actually focuses on impermanence, actually focuses on flux, actually focuses on changeability. And just seeing that, just seeing that. And then we're, we can also be interested on how does that, if we've changed the way of looking, how does that actually shape or how does that inform both my perception of the thing, whatever it is, and my response to it. The perception of the thing, whatever it is, and the response. And particularly we're interested if does it reduce the sense of problem or does it increase the sense of freedom and joy. So that's kind of, in a, in a nutshell, the practice. And I'll go into more um, specific kind of suggestions on how to do that. But that's in a kind of broad stroke what the practice is or what it can be. And there's really something about that actually, you know, looking through that way of looking, looking through the impermanence at experience that we normally see as permanent or habitually see as permanent, even if we know that it's not true. And actually reminding ourselves, it's like we're reminding ourselves, no, it's not permanent. It's not permanent. It's changing. Look, it's changing. Look, it's changing. <laughs> you know, often just really right in front of our eyes when we're paying attention. So it can be applied, um, you know, to anything that comes up in our experience, yeah, to our uh, moods and mind states, to our body sensations, um, anything that comes up in emotional life. You know, a meal is really interesting <laughs> as we're eating, as we're chewing, even just one mouthful of actually looking through this lens of impermanence and seeing how that affects, how that changes what we're experiencing. So... I'm going to um, suggest two kind of primary ways of, of doing this, and they're, uh, they're both quite broad. So you can, you can kind of explore each one. Um, one is actually um, using our, our ability to reflect. So 
taking time to reflect back on a period of time and how the, the mental states, the chitta states, the moods, how they changed over that period of time. So it can be at the end of a sitting, you know, when the bell goes before walking off to do your walking practice, actually taking a few moments and just reflecting from that perspective. What was my chitta state or my mood at the beginning? How did it change? With as much detail as you can. Or you can do that, you know, during the, the lunch break, or you can do that at the end of the day. You know, just taking a, a, a set period of time, having the intention from the beginning to pay attention to, the, to that particular aspect of the, of the mood and the chitta states, and then reflecting back. And, um, you know, usually what we'll see is that some um, experiences that seemed very solid when they were present... You know, like maybe it was, you know, could have been a very happy state or it could have been, you know, a very irritable state or whatever it was that seemed very solid and permanent at that point actually dissolved and disappeared and is no longer present. You know, we can't even find a, a hint of it in ourselves. And this is a really useful practice because as we sustain it, you know, we build up a momentum, which means that then even in the moment, we can start applying that. So not only in retrospect, looking back, but actually, since we're cultivating, we're honing that skill, in the moment there is a strong mind state and we can actually then apply this way of looking of actually, this too is a nature. It's impermanent, it's not going to last. Not as a way of pushing it away, but just as a way of getting more perspective, less identification, less contracting in, in the moment. The um, second way of applying this, um, this insight practice, this way of looking, is to, to um, actually look at um, our sense experience through this way of looking of impermanence in nature. Yeah, so we can um, look at a specific sense door, you know, the, the hearing, the c- contact, the touch, and just observe you know, just pay attention for one sitting to sound and see how it changes, particularly from the changeability. You know, that's what we're particularly interested in, changeability, impermanence. Sounds change. And just staying with that, you know, can be the same with seeing, you know, practicing in the hall with eyes open or during a walking period, concentrating on this aspect. Seeing, the tasting, the smelling the touch, the contact, you know, of body on the seat or the feet on the ground during the walking period, just really paying attention to that. Um, the, the mind is also a sense in, in, uh, in the Buddha Dharma way of um, kind of structuring the world. It's, it's more tricky. <laughs> We've kind of touched a little bit on it with the first way of looking, of kind of having a, a large perspective looking at mind states and moods. Um, observing thoughts um, as impermanent is can be very powerful, but it takes um, a, a real steadiness of mindfulness. So if you feel very steady, you can also include that. You know, if thoughts arise, then, then watching the impermanence of the, of the thinking, mm-hmm. just like sounds arising and passing. We can also um, apply that same looking from a Nietzsche, you know, Nietzsche way of looking, to, um, you know, Vedana, 
or perception itself. You know, there's perception happening and perception also is not permanent. It's constantly changing with conditions that are affecting it. And again, as we're doing this, to once in a while kind of step back and say, okay, what's, what's, how is this different way of looking at these phenomena, which are there all the time, how is that affecting uh, my reactivity and my response to what is there? So, you know, again, physical pain is, uh, or discomfort is a real strong um, example of this. You know, how is that, if, I, if I'm looking at some degree of discomfort in the body, again, usually easier to do this with things that are not um, the most intense that we're experiencing, but I'll play with it. If I'm looking at that from the lens of, of anicca, of impermanence, of changeability, can I see the nuance? Can I see what's coming and going? Can I see um, how, even if it's, you know, unpleasant, continuously it's it's actually changing the detail of the experience is changing and kind of what happens when that when i kind of bring more and more attention to that so you know these are kind of different ways of of doing the practice um for many of us um using a a a very light noting can be really helpful with with this with this practice of way of looking, it's like a reminder. Um, just one word, you know, it can be a Nietzsche, it can be impermanence, it can be changing, you know, whatever word feels like it has some um, resonance for you and that you can kind of just apply it. And we just gently apply that note as we notice the, the experience changing um, and really finding the balance with that. So... Um, you know, it can become, you know, too much. Anicca, 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 anicca. You know, it can be become it can become too much. So finding the balance for that, you know, how much um, noting to use, and also to what degree, you know, because it can get very fast if we're if we've got quite a lot of mindfulness and we're really tuning in to um, anicca, it can become very very fast. And that can be fine, or it can feel like it's too much, and then we just need to slow it down a little bit. So, so really playing with that. Really remembering as we're doing the practice that um, the intention is really to lessen contraction. That's the intention. So we're looking for that the intention behind the practice is to decrease the contraction, to decrease the sense of um, unease or dukkha. Um, but there may be other emotional responses that arise and they're not wrong and we need to work with them skillfully. So sometimes for some of us, um, at some point, um, really opening to the, the changeable nature of everything, the impermanent, impermanent nature of everything and the fact that everything that arises is also going to pass. It can bring up some sadness, uh, it can bring up some pain, it can bring up a certain degree of anxiety. So just to put it out there that these are completely natural responses that may arise. And if they do, to really be skillful. If it feels like it's too much agitation or anxiety building up, then just ease off from that practice and come back to something that is more uh, nourishing and relaxing. You know, any samatha practice, metta practice. We really um, 
really about this this skill. You know, we've been using um, the metaphor of of um, practice of meditation as an art. Particularly, it feels like many times it's like being a musician. I'm not a musician, but it, it really feels like that of knowing, you know, when to when to play harder, when to play softer, what kind of notes, you know, what kind of intention, when to listen to the silence, like Nathan was saying the other night. So just to really bring that in, uh, and not to not to feel any sense of um, failure if there's too much intensity or or you know the other. A different thing that could happen is just not connecting to the practice and what feels more wholesome is to, to do a samatha practice or a metta practice to really allow yourself that movement. Yeah. So um, that's the introduction and will flow into the practice now. So, um, yeah, feel free to stretch um, any parts of the body that need it to take your posture. And, yeah, a real reminder to... um, yeah, reminder of this 50-50, half-half balance, you know, so half, <coughs> at least half of the time with still staying with samatha or metta practice. And then the rest of it, applying insight. So settling into the posture and particularly taking a few moments to balance uprightness with restfulness. As you do that, gently opening to sensations in the body through this lens of anicca. Just uh, particularly Noticing the sensations in one part of the body to make it a little bit more simple and easy. 
can be the contact of the body with the seat or the mattress. can be the sense of uprightness and relaxation in the back. can be the sensations in the hands or in the face. Choosing one area and just turning the attention to the sensations. Just observing, looking, seeing their impermanent changing nature. And we're using the Anicca practice that is kind of the object of our attention. So the mind will naturally drift away, be distracted as it does with any practice. When we notice that, just bringing back, bringing the mind back to the area of the body that you're present with particular way of looking at the sensations in that area, opening to to see their changeable and impermanent nature. It's always can be helpful to play a little bit with the quality and intensity of the attention. If we notice there's a tensing, seeing if we can relax that. And as much as possible, 
Let the attention be bright and open. And yet with a lightness to it. Opening out to the body experience, there's some different sensations in the body. Noticing if there's any area where there is some discomfort or tension. If possible, not going for somewhere that is too intense. Just gently scanning the attention through the body, finding an area where there is some discomfort. Bringing the attention, the awareness to that area in the body. And then applying the practice in the same way. So attending to, paying attention to the sensations in this area. With an emphasis on their impermanent, changeable nature.
you wish you can use the noting here, just a Nietzsche or impermanence or changing, whatever resonates with you. Again, if you feel a tensing either in the body or in the mind, inviting that to relax. Opening to experience the changeability of sensation. As you open to the sensations, looking at their impermanence, is there any change happening in your perception? Another way of saying that, is there a change in the perceived sensation? Whether there is or not, is there a change in your response, in the kind of 
reflexive, a reflex response to the sensation. Just noticing to, just opening to notice that. If at any point it feels like too much, too intense, you can feel free to move the awareness back to an area in the body where there is no intensity of sensation. Or where there's a pleasant sensation. Staying with the way of looking, of opening to the experience, to the presence of Anicca.
Now gently letting go of the body sensations and moving the attention to a different sense door, the sense door of sound. experiencing the world of sound through this lens of anicca. Noticing the arising, the passing, the changing. different elements that make up sound. including also remembering the impermanent nature of mindfulness itself. It just moves. When we notice that, we come back, bring it back.
as the bell rings, including that also in the practice, just really letting yourself attend, experience the sound in its richness, in its changeability a vibration of pitch, a volume, right up until the moment it completely fades from your perception. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.